I truly feel a deep connection in the spirit with your pastor and with this congregation. Every now and again, you seem to collide with destiny, and there's something in that relationship. And I felt that when I met with Pastor Rick. And, and you know, this, the, the size of the church doesn't move me. If I've got to trust going to big churches, I might as well become a prostitute and sell myself, you know? I'm not going to do that. I go where God tells me based on relationship. The strength of my ministry, I feel, is the anointing, but it's the strength of the relationship. If you don't have relationship, you have no authority to speak the truth. You can't come out straight because you, you don't, you don't want to, as a preacher, you don't want to offend people. I don't like wake up in the morning and try and offend people. Every now and I do, but that's not because... I'm abusive to them. It's because they're hardened in their heart and they can't take the truth. I've always said I'll not dilute the Word of God. I will not compromise the message of the cross. I will not compromise the message of Pentecost. I was saved and filled with the Spirit. I am the product of the cross, the empty tomb, the resurrected, glorified Christ, and of the upper room. I speak with tongues, I operate in the gifts of the Spirit, and I make no apology for that. There's a, there's a tremendous shift in churches to dilute, not so much the gospel, but the moving of the Holy Spirit. For me, the church without the Holy Spirit is not the church, it's an organization. We are unique because God not only touches us, but flows through us as instruments of His love and power. Your pastor asked me to share concerning the subject of new wine and new wineskins, which after prayer I felt that this is really a good word for this season where your church is and where you're going. The cloud is moving for this church. God's taking you into a different emphasis, not diluting or compromising, but a different emphasis to have a louder volume to this community, to make a greater impact to the emerging young generation. There is going to be changes in the way of operations in this church, how it has been and how it will be. There are going to be changes because if we keep doing the same thing, in the same way, we get the same results. So to win a generation that is hardened, we are going to have to change our strategy. When I was in the military and we, we went into a region to overpower our enemy, our mission was to seek our enemy and destroy him. And so we would strategize. We didn't go into war to lose. And God didn't plant this church to lose ground. I want to say that by the Spirit. God didn't plant this church to lose ground. He planted this church to grow, to prosper, to increase, to see souls saved, people healed, people delivered. And it may not be a, a, a 2,000 member church. I don't know the growth potential of this community. But let it be known for great faith. 
If you're going to have faith, you might as well go for great faith. Jesus never rebuked anyone for having great faith. He did say, how much longer must I put up with you of little faith? So little faith doesn't impress God. Great faith does. So you might as well ask God to increase your faith, to get in the Word, to build yourself in your most holy faith, and you might as well go for something big. I have a saying, if you're going to do a work, you might as well do a great work. God never called Noah to build a canoe, a little raft to float down the river. He called him to build an ark sufficient to save the entire populace of wildlife in the disaster and his family, sufficient to last for for, for weeks. It was no small feat. God doesn't give us something that we can do in ourselves. He is going to give us something that we're going to have to draw on the wisdom, the skill, the strategy of heaven to do a great work. So I say, if we're going to do a work, let's do a great work. Let's have great faith. Let's be known for having great love. That is our testimony. Not the miracles as important as those are, not the flow of the Spirit as important as that is, but what should we be known for? Our love for one another. So let's have great faith, let's do a great work, and let's have great love for one another. And then, let's have a, a great vision. Vision is the the plan that God gives the leadership and the people of the church. When you, essentially when you join a church, and there's many churches, you, you join because God adds you to that church. You feel a connection. What is the connection? Shared values and shared vision. If you don't share the values or the culture or the, the doctrine of the church, you will soon leave. And if you don't share the vision of the church, you will soon leave. What connects us is shared value, values and vision. How can you walk together unless you be in agreement? What is our agreement? Shared values and shared vision. Over and above that, what causes us to walk together should cause us to work together. If we can't walk together, we'll never work together. And then if we can walk together and work together, We'll war together because there is a war against this church succeeding. The enemy would love to mute the gospel. He would love to turn down the volume of this church. But I say it's time for the volume to increase. Our love to increase, our faith to increase, our vision to increase, our strategies to increase. And so let's go big. Let's do something that glorifies God. And I believe that's why we are dealing with new wine and new wineskins because the pastor doesn't want to stay where you have been and where you are. He wants to move forward from glory to glory and strength to strength and ever-increasing faith. Can you say amen? Now, Lord, tonight as we look into your word, 
I pray, O oh God, for ears to hear and hearts to receive and for your touch upon every life, that you would come and seal this word by the Spirit in their lives. I pray, O oh God, that you would use these lips of clay to communicate the oracles of God with great accuracy, that, O oh God, it would strike to the very core of our being, that the entrance of your word would bring light, revelation, understanding, and that everyone here would become a, a doer of your word and a partaker of all that you are imparting tonight. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was meditating in preparation for tonight, and the thought came to me, God gives us new wine, but we have to cultivate a new wine skin, a new wine skin attitude, a new wine skin motive. The new wine is His Word. The new wine is His vision. His new wine is the covenant. When Jesus said, new wine, he was speaking about the new covenant that he was going to give. And within that covenant was going to be uh, spirit-filled people. Instead of the glory of God contained to a room, the glory would be released into the people. The people would become the sanctum of God, the carrier of his glory, and that knowledge would spread to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus spoke about the new wine of the gospel, the new wine of the new covenant of better promises and a new working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had been working from creation when God spoke, the Spirit moved. But there would be a difference in the move of God. The Spirit would come upon people and they would prophesy. Now the Spirit of God would abide in them and empower them and work through them. We are the recipients of that new wine, and we are the recipients of all that God has done in the past and what He's going to do in the future. When we, in the modern-day church, talk about the new wine, we talk about new expressions of revelation, of truth. They, in the Word, this is nothing new, but it's new to this generation. It's already there. There is nothing new. Everything that we preach and do is already embedded in the Scriptures. The new doesn't add to the Scriptures, and the new does not take away from the Scriptures, but it's new to this generation. It's a new wave of glory. It's a new working of the Holy Spirit where He highlights certain dimensions of His nature, His character, His personality, His Word, and the workings of the Holy Spirit. You remember, for example, I think it was in the, the 50s, there were all these great tent evangelists. And uh, they it carried through to maybe the mid-60s. And uh, there was a unique move of the Spirit. Then came the Jesus people. It was a move of the Spirit. Then came the charismatic renewal. It was a new wine that was being poured out. The Jesus people was a new wine that was being poured out. And then came the apostolic prophetic renewal. And that was a new wine that was being given to the church. So we've seen different glories come and they're never meant to fade. They are meant to be 
built upon. You don't like say, well, God did that in the past. Let's get rid of it. You build upon what he has done. When the word of faith started to manifest, it wasn't something that was seasonal. It was meant to be embraced and built upon. Many people got offended because of the prosperity kind of name it, claim it, frame it. But it was an authentic move of God because the just shall live by faith and faith works by love. We were meant to embrace the word of faith to move mountains and to change the spiritual climate of our nation and win our world. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the word impossible in the Greek means impossible. And those that come to him must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. He was raising up a people who would diligently seek God. It was a new wine. And there were many who heard that word, but they didn't cultivate new wineskins. Does that mean I, I accepted everything that was being said and taught? Of course not. You know the, 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 the theory. If you are given food, you eat the flesh and you spit out the bones. It doesn't mean that everything was exact how we would frame it, how we would say it. But it doesn't mean that it was error or heresy it just had certain nuances that out of the context of where it was spoken and how it was spoken, it appeared to be extremes. If you were in that meeting, you probably wouldn't have felt it. But when you hear a portion of it being preached against, it sounds like, wow, these guys are out after your money. You hear what I'm saying? So many people just threw the baby out with the bathwater and they missed what that move or that new wine would do for them. It's a bad thing to miss God. Even Jesus, he wept over Jerusalem because they did not know the day of their visitation. They missed their new wine. That generation missed what God had for them. Why? Because they had old wineskin mentality. They didn't embrace the change. They were resistant to the change. In my walk with God over 50 years, I've seen waves of glory come, and every wave has been resisted by a portion of the church. I don't quite know what the new wave is going to be, what this new wine is going to be. I don't see it fully. I know that the latter house will be greater than the former. I know that what God has begun, He will complete it. I know that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I know that He said the works that He did, we will do also if we believe. And He said it before He had died and rose again and sent the Holy Spirit and he was saying that the Spirit-filled people will be carriers and doers of the works that he did, but it would be greater because there would be more of us doing it. So in my desire to discover the new wine, I see that God wants to move in incredible power in this generation. I see tremendous health challenges 
not only in the church Christians suffering, but everyone is suffering. Sickness, disease is on just about every household. And I think of the days of Jesus where he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we have this reality, God is with us. So I envisage that there is a momentum that is building. God's eyes are going to and fro throughout all the earth, looking for loyal hearts, hungry hearts, broken hearts, people that want to be carriers of that new wine. I think that new wine, we are in a preparatory state where discipleship is the emphasis. Because the Great Commission and the beginning of the church started in discipleship. And, and so teaching, training, empowering, and discipleship, equipping is all synonymous of what I believe God is doing. God's raising up an army of skilled, anointed men and women full of faith that he can trust with souls. If 5,000 were saved in a day, he had to have people that could disciple them. He had to have homes that were open where they could meet to break bread, fellowship, pray, and be taught the apostles' doctrine. He, God's moving around looking for people that he can empower and use. Will you be one of those? I believe you are. I believe that's why you are here tonight, because you want what God wants to do. We don't just pray, have your way. We mean it. We don't pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We mean it. We want God's will. We like Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. We don't just want the will of God. We want the ways of God. We want the attitude of Jesus. We want to walk in the authentic spirit of the primitive church, but with our nice buildings and our sound systems and our technologies. But we, we will rather get rid of our buildings, our sound, and our lighting if we could have the power of Pentecost fully operating in our lives. But if we could have shelter from the heat and shelter from the cold, why not? The church is not the building, you are the building, but we meet in buildings, and on the day of Pentecost, God filled the house. So let's build a house, and that's what you're doing. You've done, and you're building it, you're getting it ready for the harvest. I walked in here on Saturday night and looked at the carpets, and I'd sat on the chairs before in the new stage, the guitar, and the, the new drums, and the video camera, and, you know, pastor said, we need a guitar player, and uh, I said, let's call them in. Let's call in the guitar player. I, I'm grateful we have a cameraman. We need more. Let's call them in. We need young people. Let's call them in. We want to raise up a mighty army in the city. Let's call them in. Every time you walk past an empty chair, prophesy someone into that chair. Let's not be passive. Let's be aggressive in our faith. Instead of just walking in, when you see a chair, don't look around and say, well, there's not many people. Yeah, look around with the eye of faith and say, I see a harvest of souls. I see prodigals coming home. When the church that I spoke about the other night, we had 45 youth 
the building was built to accommodate probably 500. We jammed in like six, 700, you know. But when, when it was just a handful of us in the front, it looked pretty sparse. But I used to walk, and they were pews, but they were padded, and I used to walk up and down the rows, just prophesying a harvest. In the name of Jesus, this place will be taken. I see a man sitting here. I see his wife sitting there. I see his kids sitting around. I see teenagers filling. I used to just walk up and down, prophesying over those empty benches. So when God sent us 700 kids in one day, I had already seen it in the spirit realm. When you ask, believe, and receive. And then through faith and patience, you receive the manifestation, the promise fulfilled. And so I believe that God is positioning you in this church for a harvest. That would have been a fair place to say amen. I think you Texans need to just like up your uh, amen corner here tonight. <laughs> I was in Connecticut last week. I said, I'm going to Texas. There they amen. I'm going to have to send an apology to them. I said, you, you people in Connecticut, you're so quiet. I said, they even amen in heaven. Why don't you join heaven then? Now, what constitutes a new wineskin? I believe, and there are many qualities and traits that I could go in, but I felt like for right now, I want to speak about spiritual hunger and thirst, an appetite for God. I've looked at my life, and whenever God has moved in me and through me, I've had one thing, I know I have faith, I know I have vision, but I've always had a spiritual appetite. I crave God. I desire God. I long for His work in, not only in me and through me, but in others. I love to be in a place where the tangibility of God's presence fills the house. I seek Him. The Bible says, seek you shall find. Ask, and it shall be given. Pray, and it will be done. So we know that God wants us to have a pursuit. He says, call unto me. He doesn't say, hey, you, you're irritating me. He says, call, and I will answer. He says that his ear is actually inclined to the cry of the righteous. He's listening to our prayers. He's listening to our heartbeat. And so I believe this quality positions a new wineskin attitude. What quality? The quality of a spiritual appetite. If anything, I'm going to be hungry and thirsty for God. The first scripture and you know all these scriptures. I'm just doing this as a reminder. Psalm 42, verses 1 to 2. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go 
and meet with God. That's how we ought to gather. That's how we ought to get before the Lord in your private place where you, they call it a prayer closet. Uh, in the old days, they would say, have a quiet time, but what if you're not a quiet person? My prayer time as much as possible when I was young was on the beach. I lived two minutes from the beach. I would drive down and sit on a sand dune. I could watch the whole ocean around me, and I would take my little New Testament, my notebook, and my pen, and I would go and I would pray in the Spirit. I would prophesy. I would intercede. I would seek God. I would read the Word. I would meditate in the Word and take notes of the things that He showed me. I had the greatest time outdoors. I just like being outdoors. Um, but, you know, if, if it's bad weather, that's not an ideal spot. So you need a place where you can go. I have a study. It's a private room. I'm able to get in there and I pray and I read the Word and I study. In actual fact, um, I like to walk and pray. You've heard about prayer walks. I like to walk and pray. The Bible says watch and pray. I kind of changed it to watch and walk and pray. I just walk up and down my study. I like to move. Why? Because I just feel like I'm not going to get dozy. I'm not going to get sleepy. It's an amazing thing when you start studying the Word and start praying how your mind gets distracted. But when you go into your prayer room, go in like that. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, pants for you. That's a state of appetite. Deer will seek out the water. Elephants will seek out the water. Lions will seek out the water. Giraffes will seek out the water. Zebra will seek out the water. Why? Because if they don't have water they die. When it comes to dry season, animals will move across nations from Kenya into Tanzania. They do this migration. Why? Because of water. And not only because of water, because where there is water, there is food. Their appetite moves them from nation to nation. In South Africa, they move into Mozambique, and then from Mozambique back into South Africa. They migrate based on the food and the drink because those animals instinctively know that if they don't eat and if they don't drink, they will die. Elephants will travel hundreds of kilometers to get to where they, they have a trail that they walk every year. It's called a path. One hotel built a, a hotel right over the path where the elephants come. The elephants still come. They walk right through the lobby. People actually now sit and watch. And the elephants have got used to the people. They don't attack. The people sit. The guy stands behind the reception desk. And the elephants are walking past because they built the hotel on their path. Because those elephants know that's the way my predecessors went to get water and food. That's the way I'm going. You see it even in, 
in the United States, they build bridges over highways for the animals to cross from forest to forest. Why? Because they've got paths, trails. And why? But what drives them is thirst and hunger. And what drives us is our thirst and our hunger for what God is doing. If you don't have an appetite, you will not go to church. If you don't have a spiritual appetite, you will not pray. If you do not have a spiritual appetite, you will not read and study and meditate on the Word. It is not law. Appetite is what drives us. In the grace of God, the I have to has been removed by I want to. But what stimulates the I want to is my thirst, my hunger. If there's an absence of thirst and hunger for God's presence, something's wrong with your life. If you don't crave to read the Word, just like you would crave three meals a day or two meals a day or one meal a day, depending on your dietary habits, I have two meals a day. I have what we call IF, intermittent fasting. I'm an IF. And uh, so once your body's attuned to two meals a day, I'm really comfortable with that because it gives me time when I eat at 5.30 to process through to 11.30 the next day. I'm able to control my, my weight, my calories, and my body has got used to that. Some people like three meals a day, and even between the meals, they like snacking. I don't. Some people like to eat ice cream in, before going to bed. I don't. What I do is I put grapes in the freezer, and if I want something sweet, I take two grapes and I chew on those. Because I've committed to look after my health as much as possible, because I travel hard, and I'm moving. I'm already in my 70s. And it's important that the work I get done, get, that I've been assigned to, gets done in as healthy a body as I can steward this vessel. So my appetite, do I ever get hungry? Of course I do get hungry for some, some meals. Sometimes people are eating hamburgers and I'm eating lettuce and tomato and cucumber. I would crave a burger some days. But if it's if my calories are going to be too much, I'm not going to do it. Now, here's a thing that I, I spoke to Pastor Rick about. The other day I went into a restaurant, and the salad had more calories than the burger. Well, you know what I was going to go for. <laughs> but your appetite takes you to the fridge. Your thirst takes you to the water fountain or the spigot or whatever way you get your water. You have an appetite and you will, if you're thirsty, you'll get up out of bed and you'll go to the kitchen and get a glass of water and you'll drink it. Am I right? Why? Because you have appetite. If you are hungry, you could be busy working. You'll put your work down and you'll go get some food. If you have a desire for the Word, for prayer, for the will of God, for the power of God, you know what you must do. But if you don't have an appetite, we can preach, we can try motivate and stimulate and encourage, but the truth is, only you can give you an appetite. 
You know the old saying, you can take a, a horse to the water, you can't make them drink. Some people say put salt on their tongue. I don't know how true that is. You guys are farmers. I have no idea uh, what gets a horse to drink if he doesn't want to drink. But I know this, that I've met some Christians who like that. I can take them to a move of God and they'll sit there with arms folded, just like staring. No offense, just folding your arms. I'm just saying. They, well, I know Bobby's God hungry, so the, the, but people sit there with folded arms resisting God, and God is moving. Why? Because they have no appetite for it. They have an old wine mentality. They don't desperately want God. They don't desperately want to be a vehicle for God. They don't want the added responsibility for them. Their lives are already cluttered with so much to do. I don't have time. That's a sad state to be in. A lack of spiritual appetite. In Psalm 63 in verse 1, You God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I ask you the question, are you seeking God? Seek first the kingdom. Early will I seek you. Is there a priority for God? Seek first. I mean, there's no getting around what first means. If you're running in a race and you come in first and they give you third prize, are you going to accept it? You know what first means. It's when you are first. When the Bible says, early will I seek him, it's not the time of the day as much as it's the urgency of the heart that he becomes your first priority. I like to think that he's my first priority, Alpha. He's my last priority, Omega. And he's every priority in between those two points. So he is my pursuit. I'm not just seeking his word. I'm seeking the God of the word. It's my clock to tell me I've been preaching 35 minutes already. Thank you. You are my God. Earnestly, I will seek you. In other words, the new wineskin heart has a sense of earnestness, desperation, hunger, thirst. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. In other words, God, I'm coming to you because my environment cannot sustain me. You are what sustains me. I'm not living out of the environment. I'm living out of you. And so my thirst is for him. In John chapter 4 and verse 13 and 14 Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks that water I give them will never thirst. I said to God when I read this, I'm thirsty. You said I will never thirst. He said, you're not thirsting for some other flavor. You're thirsting for that one which has satisfied you. 
So once you've tasted of the Lord, all other flavors lose their appeal. Do you, um, do you remember the other day, I think, Bobby, you ordered a Coke at the, the lunch table. You did have Coke. I'm not going to insult you. Yeah. You like the flavor of Coke. I ordered water because I'm very healthy and very health conscious. <laughs> but yes, the thing is, once you've tasted something, you get an appetite for that. Once you taste of the Lord, you get an appetite for Him. That doesn't mean you will never thirst again. You will never thirst if you've drunk the living water. You will never thirst for Mountain Dew. Once you have tasted and seen that He is good, you lose the appetite, the appeal for any other flavor but Him. I'm more thirsty than I've ever been. But not for another flavor. I want more of Him. In fact, here's a principle I learned talking about wanting more of Him. When I'm home, one of the first things I do when I, when I get home, get up in the morning, I get on the scale and I don't look down at the numbers. My first thing is I say, less of me and more of God. <laughs> then I look at the numbers. <laughs> And then I question, does confession really work? <laughs> so, when I say more of Him, it's actually not more of Him that is needed. It's making capacity in me for Him. Because I found there are many people whose lives are cluttered. They've allowed too much stuff in. There's so much activity that there's no time. There's no capacity. The busyness of life is robbing them of their spirituality. And so what we have to do, just like you, you've heard the term spring cleaning. We come out of winter, we get, we, we get rid of the, the stuff, we clear the house. People will do a spring clean. They'll go right through their garage and get rid of stuff that they're not using so that they can actually park their car on the inside again. They put their $200 junk in the garage so that their $50,000 car can sit outside. <laughs> but we make room for what is valuable. We spring clean. And so that's what I do with my life. If I find there's too much stuff getting in and robbing me of more of Him, there are some things that I've got to be brutal with. They have to go. They may not be evil. They may not be sin. But they are clutter that distracts me from the vision and the mission God has given me. For me, this is just Leon. This is not you. It's not a guilt trip. But for me, I've had to cut back because I'm brilliant at so many things. <laughs> I'm a brilliant golfer. 
I, when I get, it feels so good when you get a good clean shot and it just, and you know, it's a beautiful thing. And then you come up and you get your iron and you, you hit it and it goes up and lands on the green. You walk up and you say, chip and a putt or whatever, or putt, and you're going for a birdie or a chip and a putt, you're going for a bogey. I'm actually not bad at the game, but here's the thing. It's five hours because you want to go there. You want to warm up. You want to get yourself geared for it. You play the game. Then you've got to clean up afterwards. You've got to shower, change, put your golf clubs away. Before you know it, five hours of the day is gone. I, it's not that I'm against sport. I actually love it. Is that, a golf course is a beautiful thing to be on. And they really do develop character. Golf develops character. <laughs> it's a real challenge <laughs> when you've had a bad shot, you know, like you want to throw your clubs in the water. <laughs> it's a test of your character. It's a test of your discipline, of your focus. But I just had to put it down. I'll, I enjoyed the game. There are many things that I'm, I actually enjoy. But I don't have the time. I've had to narrow my life. You know, some of you have seen my photography. I'm not a bad photographer. I just don't have the time. This last winter, I went out one day, which is when all the birds come into Florida. And, and I love it. And I get up early in the morning. I'm there for the first light. And I just shoot to the golden hour. Then I go home. But that's three, four hours of my day. And when I'm trying to write a chapter a day and grow the ministry and increase, I've had to declutter my life from certain things that are not wrong. They're not evil, but they are clutter, robbing me of the urgency of the hour. But I'm not putting a guilt trip if you want to watch something or do something or play a sport. Um, there is nothing wrong with it, but just make sure that thing doesn't distract you from the house of God from the Word of God, from prayer. Don't let it become an idol that it dominates. The thing that takes your money, your time, and your interest, and your heart is going to become your idol. You can have it, but don't let it have you. So we want to crave Jesus. That means making space for Him. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 6, he says, To the thirsty I will give water without cost. In Revelation 22 and 17, he says, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. In Isaiah 55 and verse 1, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. I, I said, how can you buy without money? How? Because the exchange, the currency of your spirit is your faith and your hunger or your thirst. The currency of the spirit man is faith, hunger, and thirst. That's how you can get the provision of this drink from God. There is an exchange that is needed. Yes, Leon's equation. Little thirst, little drink. 
big thirst, big drink. The bigger your thirst, the more that you will receive from God. And to me, that is what creates the new wineskin mentality, that you crave what God is doing and wants to do. You want to be a part of it. You jump in and you embrace it. You receive it. You become a part of it. Which, when you look at new wine, the day of Pentecost was a classic new wine experience. The Holy Spirit comes. Their lives are filled. Their lives are changed because that's what new wine does. New wine fills you, changes you, and then look at their lives. They're ignited in the mission of God. Isn't that what the new wine is all about? It's the empowerment of our lives to do what God has given us to do in this generation. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet is caught into the throne room of God. And God says, who will go? He says, I will. And God sends him to a very hardened generation. But that encounter became his new wine, which gave him the new emphasis and the new mission to go to a hardened nation and not to be discouraged because they wouldn't receive and be healed and the nation be healed. He went because he had been empowered by God. That's the new wine. Gideon wasn't a seeker of God that I know of. He obviously considered things because when he had the encounter with the angel of the Lord, he said, we are the miracles of our father. So obviously he had been saying to himself, wow, we are meant to be covenant people. Yeah, we are being victims. We're meant to be victorious. We are meant to be seeing the hand of God. But what we're doing is we see in the hand of the Midianites destroy us. So, I have a theory which works both ways. God can come to you and flood your life with new wine without you seeking Him. But that's the exception, not the rule. Most people come to Him. Now, He came to Saul on the Damascus Road. He came to Gideon. He came to Moses. But I believe even in the depths of their being, there was this possibility and this potential. In Saul's case, he had been resisting it. It would have been awakened in him because he says it's hard for you to kick against the goats. Because there was an inner call that was being awakened in Saul's life. And Jesus just accelerated by coming to him. But if God doesn't come to you, you can go to him. When God came to Gideon... He was given a mission. He was given an assignment. But there were a couple of things that happened, and I'll say this in closing, that are significant. Number one, the first is, before the angel of the Lord departed, he said, let me bring a, a sacrifice. And he went and got meat, and he got broth, and he put it on the rock, and the angel of the Lord stuck out the staff, and the fire of God fell. I see, number one, if God's going to use you, you've got to have a worshiping heart. You've got to be generous. What was the thing that he gave? Food. What did they desperately need? Food. If you're going to be stingy with yourself, with your time, with your money, you'll probably not have a new wineskin mentality. Gideon had the call of God, 
but he had to cultivate a new wineskin mentality to do what God gave him to do. The first thing he did is he worshipped God. Number two, he built an altar, and it's God my peace. He, in other words, he again built a place of worship. But then God said to him, now go tear down the altars of your father's house. He had to get rid of the idols. He had to get rid of the clutter that was around his life. And then he had to build in faith because he was dominated by fear and various encounters. He grew in faith. He grew in confidence. And God was very gracious even when he put out the fleece. God just met him in that fleece building faith because he would lead the army into a victory. And God removed all self by giving him a very small army with one sword, you know, and put them against a huge army. In other words, God's going to put some demands on us. Number one, to be a worshiper, to be generous, to build an altar of worship, to get rid of idols, to get rid of clutter, and then to build faith, and then to do what God tells us to do, even if it looks ridiculous. Send them home. You know, go to war with lamps and shofars. You know, that's ridiculous. God's going to make us walk this out in faith. Stand with me. Let us pray. So, Pastor Rick, I think what is needed is spiritual appetite. The greater the appetite in this church, the greater the new wine. It's like we will create a capacity for what God wants to fill by our thirst, by our hunger, individually and corporately. So somehow, people, you're going to have to go to those who lack spiritual appetite and start not to rebuke them, but to encourage them. The Bible says, encourage one another. Stimulate one another to good works, not forsaking the assembling together. Don't try to just get them to church. Awaken their heart through encouragement. Encourage them to go deep. And those who will watch this and listen to this, I want to encourage you to cultivate a spiritual appetite. Right there where you are, whether you're in your car listening to a podcast, or whether you're at home watching this video, get on your face before God and call out to Him and receive what He's got for you there, just as these here today will receive what God's got for them. Hallelujah. Pastor Rick.